Welcome back to a very blasphemous episode of the Burning Eden Podcast. I am Bath, your suave, smooth, spicy Satanist. And I'm Mel, your favorite big titty heathen. So Mel, can you believe it? It finally happened. Wait, wait, you finally admit I'm the favorite co-host? Bitch. No, we're finally on video. This is amazing. Wait, does that mean I have to put on pants? God damn it. Did you put pants on? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) So not only is it our first video episode, but we also have the honor of having our first, as our first video guest, the high priest of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. We have truly been blessed. Ramen. Ramen. He is a psychologist, an author, and the founder and president of Recovering from Religion. Please welcome Dr. Daryl Ray. Welcome. (laughs) What an honor. We're Thank you. Worthy. How are you? We're not <laughs> worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> bless, bless you, my children. Uh, I did. I, I, I did put some pants on, but I could take them off. If you want me to. You get team player. Team player. <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, the last time we were in the same room, we were on our knees in that front of true. you. So, that is you true. That is true. You absolutely were. I like people on their knees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know what? When I grow uh, up, I want to be like you. Like this, this is like, you're my spirit animal. Spirit animal. <laughs> I was just walking across the aisle at the convention center to, to actually talk to Anthony Magnabosco oh, when oh. you guys when you guys grabbed me and bowed down to me, and I thought, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and uh, okay, anyway, it was uh, a unique experience in my life. I, it, it has never happened before. I hope it happens frequently in the future. <laughs> that was a yeah that was a great experience uh going to the convention and meeting such incredible people in person that was freaking awesome it was weird but i liked it i like it when we go weird (laughs) i think i've been to like 10 of the last 12 conferences i i try not to miss it because it is a Mm. party conference and i i think it always has some of the best speakers and best programming and stuff uh, and it's a good place to table for recovering yes. from religion. Mm, yes, very much so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But, but before we continue, mm. guess what time it is. What time is it, Mel? The Bible verse of the day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> per tradition, we would love the guest to read the Bible verse of the day. What do you have for us today? Well, I have a very important one that I think uh, all of us should pay close attention to. And this goes, this is out of uh, Genesis 38, 7 through 10. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. And (laughs) Judah said, and Judah said unto Onan, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise her up, raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground. Oh, blasphemy. Lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord 
Wherefore he slew him also. Mm. Praise wow. be. Amen. The, Amen. The moral of the story is thou shall not come outside your dead brother's wife. Yeah, that, just don't do exactly it. Right. Just you're exactly right. Just don't do it. Right. It's amazing. Go. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that was the, the Bible verse of the day. I love that. <laughs> this so is much. great. <laughs> well, it's, actually, it's actually a pretty important one for me, you know, because I masturbate at least daily. So, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've been know, waiting for the lightning to strike. So. I've, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that the more you masturbate, like the longer your life is. Bitch, I'm in, like, I'm immortal. I'm fucking immortal. <laughs> Okay, so call me DJ Diddles. If that's the case, I was immortal by, by the age of 12. <laughs> oh my. I love it here. This is great. That was very uh, a very inspiring Bible verse, and we thank you for that. Thank you, You're sir. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Yeah. Glad so, I could educate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, so for those who don't know you, can you give us a little bit of your religious background and how you got to where you are today as far as your atheism goes? Oh, okay. Well, I was uh, born in Wichita, Kansas to some pretty fundamentalist family. Fundamentalist. Uh, I wouldn't say they're rabid fundamentalists. They were just run-of-the-mill fundamentalists. And uh, grandparents on both sides were elders and preachers. My great, my grandfather on my on my uh, dad's side was a country church preacher for forty-five years. Wow. Um, lots of cousins went became missionaries. Um, you know, and stuff like that. Very well, actually, an aunt and uncle became missionaries too. And then when my parents retired, they became missionaries uh, for a while, but wow. in their in their retirement. So yeah, we had a hell of a lot of religion in my family. Hmm. Now, um, the the interesting thing was my parents. There's four boys in our family. I'm the oldest, and my parents raised all of us to be religious. We were in church. A minimum three times a week and oftentimes wow. five five wow. times a week. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. But um by by the end of by the time we all four of us boys got to adulthood, um the three youngest brothers wouldn't wouldn't darken the door of a church. They had sufficiently turned all my brothers off of religion, but <laughs> I had kind of gone the opposite way. I got more religious and more committed as I got older. Oh, wow. However, yeah, it was kind of a, a funny, but I got more liberal too. Mm. So I got more religious, more committed, but I also got more liberal. Mm. And I believed less and less of the Bible. Actually, by 12 years old, I was a full-blown evolution. I believed evolution was really cool. Wow. And my grandparents were not happy about that. My mom didn't seem to care. Um, my mom was a cool cool gal she was pretty sexually open for a fundamentalist woman of the 19, yeah. 1950s and uh so by 12 i was starting to ask lots of questions and my parents were getting tired of answering all my questions you know, I was one of those, I was, <laughs> yep i was one of those kind of kids so my mom finally said well daryl i will take you and i knew there was an adult section in the public library that kids oh. couldn't check out. Now it didn't have Playboy or anything like that. At least not then it didn't. <laughs> but it had it had adult books, you know. So I I I finally I asked I asking. I read all my mom's books. I had read a bunch of met, quote medical manuals that she had. None yeah. of them satisfied me. They were they were clinical, and they were mm. and now I know I know what I know now is they were also worthless. <laughs> 
Wait, what kind of books were these? What are you talking about? Oh, I mean, 1950s sex marriage oh. manuals. For oh. Yeah. oh, bad stuff. Actually, probably even early. It's probably 30, 1930s and 40s sex oh, manuals. Wow. wow. So I, my mom volunteered to take me to the library and let me check out any books I wanted out of that adult section because I had a high reading comprehension level when I was only 12. I, I was nice. kind of precocious. But she did forbid me to check out one book. There was dun, one dun, book. Dun, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you that I lost it. Oh, <laughs> no, way to go back. Damn it. My bad. <laughs> no, that's all right. The uh, anticipation. Al 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 Alfred Kinsey. Okay. I, I could not... Uh, I could not check out either one of his books on sex oh. because because my mother, my grandmother, everybody thought he was a communist, <laughs> and uh, and back then being a communist was the worst thing you well, <laughs> and, and if you were a communist, you were also an atheist, so you put all that together. Oh and, shit! Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the one the the two books that would have actually taught me something were the two she wouldn't let me check out. Oh. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> God damn I brought, it. I brought all these books. I probably bought a dozen books home and I said, and I read and I read and I read, I, I'm, I read for weeks. I, I even had to, you know, re up the, the library card thing. Cause I was still mm -hmm. reading them. And at the end, I didn't know any more than I did when I started. These books were horrible. <laughs> they taught you nothing. I mean, I, the, the physiology was not even right sometimes. Oh now, my God. I did not know this at the time. So I'm absorbing all this bad information right. in my head. Right, right. And I'm telling all my all my friends at school that my mom lets me check out adult books at the library, <laughs> which which instantly makes me the sex uh, the sex uh, therapist for the whole school. Oh my god. <laughs> so I every boy in school, I was like uh, seventh the eighth grade from from about seventh or eighth grade i was the go-to guy if there was a question about sex go to daryl <laughs> now the problem with that was i had this vast knowledge in my head that was all oh. wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh no so is there something oh sorry they didn't mean to cut you off but is there something specific that it stands out that was just very very wrong that's ridiculous to you oh gosh i'm 71 years old i don't oh, you're good. <laughs> I wonder if they uh, found the like the anatomy in general you said some of the anatomy was even uh, wrong well if it wasn't <laughs> it, it may not have been totally wrong but it was not very um accurate about uh well for for one yeah i can tell you one thing for one many of these books denied there was such a thing as female orgasm oh and, and they were right weren't they i mean <laughs> I can prove them wrong if you want. <laughs> well, since they yeah. were written by men, I guess. <laughs> Ooh, Fuck. It's a self-roast. But, no, I mean. Yeah, they were saying there was no such thing as female orgasm. So, yeah. Okay. And they, if they said it, they didn't even say anything about masturbation. And they sure uh -huh. said nothing about female masturbation. Uh -huh. if, if there was any words about masturbation, it was related to, to boys and, and men masturbating. And yep. and it would imply, even as a medical book, it would imply that something's wrong if you masturbate too much. So, 
Mm-hmm. Like I said, by 12 years old, I was on my on my way to being immortal. Got to put in the work, you know. So I, I mean, I'm giving you, I'm giving, I'm giving you guys the long story. You're getting the five dollar tour I, here. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to be 17 in high school, and uh-huh. I, I started reading more books and uh, books like. Um, uh, well, by that time, Ken, uh, I, I could understand what Kinsey was. I still didn't get to read it, didn't try to read it anyway. But I was reading other things. And, of course, I found in the bottom of my dad's drawer uh, lots of Playboy magazines. There you so, go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I started finding my own Playboy magazines. And remember, there's four boys in our family, no girls. Uh- uh, every every one of us had our own collection, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we took great pride in our our Playboy. Uh, well, not just Playboy, but you know any uh, any sexy magazine. We took great pride in in what we had, you know. And yes. one day, I was probably fourteen or fifteen. My mom, my mom found my um, the third boy, David, found his his porn collection. She went through the roof <laughs> and said, you guys should not have this. We're going to burn all this stuff. And she made us take out his, she didn't find the others. She, <laughs> she made us take out his thing and burn them in the trash. Well, back then we didn't, we burned our own trash. Hmm. Burn them page by page. We're just oh, like crying. Oh, Were no. they sticky? Were they sticky? Oh, <laughs> I uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> Is semen flammable? I don't know. I've never tried that. So gotta, uh, we, had, we ended up burning all of his, and she was so mad at us. And yet, at the same time, all four of us knew about dead stash. <laughs> she, she had to know it's it's right, right in their bedroom in the bottom right <laughs> Everybody in the house knew. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So uh, it didn't take David long till he had a whole new stash. <laughs> and, and much better. I don't know where David got him. He was like the champion collector. And he had a, ra- he had a rabbit hutch behind the house. And he hid his underneath the... Uh, he had a kind of a plastic bag underneath the straw of the rabbit hutch. <laughs> Mom would never look there. I mean, so, uh, if we all got if we all got desperate and we got tired of our own, we knew to go to the rabbit hutch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fuck like rabbits, right? So, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot going on. And then my parents were uh, foster parents. They started uh, bringing foster kids in and right oh, wow. and left. Which Damn. was uh, a bad idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, four horny boys, uh, and and the second person chi- child they bring in is a fifteen-year-old, fucking hot, sexy <laughs> girl who can't keep her hands off of any of the four of us. She's oh like, my God. she's trying to rape all of us, and I am. <laughs> this is like when I'm about, I'm about seventeen or eighteen. I'm a freshman in college, and here. Um, I won't say her name, but call her um, um, Jane. Sure. Uh, and uh, Jane is is ta- constantly, you know, being sexy, wearing only her underwear around the house, you know, or stuff like that. <laughs> and I was dating uh, a woman named a girl named Debbie, and we were hot and heavy, and we were fucking, uh, not not to my parents' knowledge. Mm. And one day, and I. 
one day I was looking for my good shirt to go out on a hot date with Debbie. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I said, has anybody seen my shirt? And I, Debbie comes walking out of her bedroom with my shirt on. <laughs> I'm thinking that, you know, better than to wear my shirt. Give it to me. So she said, okay. And she takes it off right there. <laughs> God damn it. With nothing on underneath it. You know, uh, I'm trying to be, I, I mean, I'm still trying to act like a good Christian boy. Right. I, I sure don't want to get in trouble with her because that would really cause all sorts of problems. But as a result, I, I and I never had sex with her, but mm. every one of my three brothers did eventually. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how they avoid, avoided getting her pregnant. But anyway, she Yikes. was, um, and I, 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 do, I still kept track of her and knew her up until about, oh, probably about 15 years ago. I've lost track of her. But, mm. I mean, we kind of became good friends after I, I was out of college and long gone. I moved away from home and also, you know, that temptation. And I got married, too. So. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> anyway, golly, I haven't told some of the – how do you get – you're getting stories out of me I haven't told in years. So. We have a special gift. Yeah, yeah. I guess you do. But I, <laughs> So I'm in college and I'm studying anthropology and sociology as my majors. Mm -hmm. And I, I just find um, cross-cultural studies fascinating. Anthropology, yeah, they, they didn't offer a full major. So I ended up minoring and uh, pretty much minoring in anthropology, but taking enough to have a major if they'd had one. Right. So I really did have a double major. Um, and I am, I am fascinated with this and mostly I'm fascinated with, um, sex, sex in these th different societies. Mm. And when I r wrote, read Margaret Mead's um, Sex and Childhood and Three Primitive Societies, I think that's the name of it, I was shocked. I mean, just shocked. <laughs> so I started really getting deep into the fact that different cultures have different sexual practices and beliefs. Huh. And they're really different than mine, than huh. the culture I'm in. Yeah, that was that was just amazingly eye opening because, you know, until that time, all you learn is the purity culture of Christianity. Right. Yes. And, and you think, well, that's normal. That's natural. That's the right way to be sexual, even though I didn't really uh, abide by it. I mean, I was screwing my girlfriend against, you know, all the principles of purity, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she was man, she was. Um, uh, Jane was really sexual. Mm. Uh, as as uh, I've met very few women on the planet in my lifetime that were sexual as her. She always wanted to fuck. <laughs> well, uh, I tried my best to oblige her. I didn't want to disappoint her, but she also wanted lots of children, and I did oh. not. I did not want no. lots of children. No. <laughs> so eventually, it was a tough thing to do, but we eventually broke up. But that was my first sample of sex. Uh, women, the, the books, another myth those books had, not only was there no sexual orgasm for women, but they didn't like sex as much as men either. Oh, wow. So my first sexual experience is, this woman likes it as much, maybe more than me. Say, <laughs> wait a I damn mean, minute. <laughs> how, how long is my dick going to stay on? <laughs> I love fucking love this. <laughs> <laughs> and we were being very careful. I used condoms. I was I was religious about using condoms. <laughs> and, I, 
the irony of that is all three of my brothers got pregnant with another woman mm-hmm. before they got married. So <laughs> all of them, none of them were uh, careful about it, but I was really careful. I do. I did not. I want to go to college and you ain't going to go to college. If you've got a baby. It, it's right. going to suck. Gotcha. Yourself. So that was wow. the beginning of my, you know, my um, early adult um, education in sex and sexuality. Yeah. I, I married a woman, wonderful woman, great mother, great grandmother, um, and, you know, even still a good friend, but we were absolutely not sexually compatible. Mm. Uh, and so that was that was a big problem. We, made, we stayed married for almost 18 years. Wow. So it was 18 years of misery for her and for me. I mean, mm. I, it, you know, it's, I, I don't say it was anybody's fault, except it was the church's fault mm. because we, we got married because we wanted to have sex. Right. And we were, we were hot and heavy for each other, mm-hmm. but it, you know, once that early six months wears off and you start having to see the other human being, uh, not through the eyes of hormones, yep. you, you start seeing a different person. And right. hopefully, hopefully it's a person you can be compatible with. But in this case, it wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, my daughter has told both of us, uh, said, Mom and Dad, I don't know why you ever got married. You're so different from me. Damn. <laughs> oh, no. Even even she can can do it. I have two kids, a, a son, okay. and a da- daughter and a son. Uh, anyway, so I went I went um, actually did my main senior study uh, on the Havasupai tribe in the bottom of the grand canyon so oh, okay. my, my wife and i went down to the bottom of the grand canyon spent our honeymoon down there that was where we went for honeymoon and we killed two birds with one stone i got my information on the um, tribe down there and i learned that uh women are control of the sexual relationships down there oh. And, oh. oh and that women don't stay with the same man their whole life they don't even mm. it's not it's not even a thing in that in that tribe and that that tribe's probably been in that area for at least 800 or 900 years shit um and they have they have very different beliefs about human sexuality mm-hmm. however that those beliefs have been distorted from what they used to believe to what the white men and the missionaries uh, forced on them right so again exactly. i don't know if you've uh, again i don't know if you've read my book sex and god but that that is the um Roots of the whole book was when I went down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon to study the Supai. And then I'm starting, I'm not just reading about it. I'm actually seeing it, talking to people, listening to people with my own two eyes. And that was, that was revolutionary. I then decided to go to graduate school at Scarrett College for Christian Workers in Nashville, Tennessee. What? (laughs) Yep. And I got, I got a two-year master's degree and I look back and say, damn, I'm glad I got that degree. I couldn't I couldn't have written all the books I written without it. I mean it was a really good degree. Yeah. For what I turned out to be. Right. But, but, <laughs> it was great atheist training. Let's there just you go. <laughs> and, and I got another education at Scarrett College. I got there. I'm still a good Christian mm-hmm. boy. I'm I'm married. I'm faithful on my wife. I mean, I never cheated on my wife the whole time. I, I may have been miserable, but I never cheated. Never mm-hmm. let that happen. Yeah. So I'm being a good boy. And I get there and women are hitting on me at a seminary. And more importantly, men are hitting on me too. I'm thinking, <laughs> wait a minute. I've wait never a been minute. Hit on. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been hit on by a man. I don't have 
they're inviting me over to their room to do homework together and study. To homework. <laughs> I, I get in the room and before you know it, his shirt is off. And I'm thinking, why is he taking his shirt off? <laughs> Where are your clothes at? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was uh, what I learned was probably 40 to 50% of all the students there were gay. Oh, now here's the deal. I and I did not, and I, I want you to believe this. I did not, I've never met a gay person in my life until I went to seminary. Wow. Interesting. Now that's, a, that's a lie. I probably uh, met a I lot of I was going to say them. that you know of. You know, <laughs> that, like, I, you know. that I know of. Oh, that's right? hilarious. <laughs> in retrospect, I know a lot of, I do a lot of gay people, but mm-hmm. they hadn't come out, you know, and uh. it was, it was dangerous to come out in the 1960s. That's oh, I bet. Yeah. Early, early 70s is when I'm talking now. So yeah. I am really and I'm really getting an education about sex and sexuality mm-hmm. and LGBTQ community at seminary. And <laughs> this is mind-boggling, right? Now the, the thing about it is that it was a Methodist seminary that was very liberal. That's, uh, that's why I went there. Because I wanted to study uh, urban ministry. I wanted to be a minister, but to an urban church. Oh wow. Kind of like do social work and social yeah. justice stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was doing social justice shit from the time I was <laughs> 17 years old and protesting the Vietnam War okay. to marching in civil rights marches and demonstrations in Wichita and then later in Nashville, Tennessee. I, I, I did virtually a social justice degree. My, my master's degree had a lot of social justice stuff in it. Mm-hmm. We studied uh, Paulo Freire and, and many of the uh, uh, theologians, free, um, free, free, uh, there's Latin American theologians around the liberation theology. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Among others. Anyway, it, it's meaningless to most lay people. And, <laughs> but, but it had extremely liberal bent. And, you know, all you, all you have to do is take Jesus out of it and it works fine. You, you mm. don't need Jesus right. to know that, that you know, we, we should treat other people right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty simple <laughs> idea. So I am, um, oh, I should, I, I should also mention that I, one of my sins in life was that I ran the, uh, and while, before I left to go to, to graduate school, I ran the church bus ministry for my church. What? I went, <laughs> I went around, I went around to the projects, picking up mostly minority children and bring them to my lily white church. Oh, uh, wow. Look at you being uh, a colonizer. colonizer. <laughs> oh, it, it got me in lots of trouble with the little white haired ladies at the, at the church, but oh, no. you know, I thought I was, I thought I was doing good. Probably, yeah. I, I probably traumatized some poor kids because, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an aside. But so yeah. sex, sex was, uh, I uh, finally got out of my master's degree, got a, a, um, a job as a counselor in oh, a, wow. juvenile, a juvenile institution. So I was learning how to do therapy with juveniles. And I came across Albert Ellis, uh, mm-hmm. the founder of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, R- oh, REBT. Wow. And had got the opportunity to go study with him as a part of my job. And we set up a whole training program. So I was a trainer for the training programs. That's how, you know, I I had had to really get. So I was, I was a student for about a year working with Dr. Albert Ellis off and on. I wasn't with him the whole time, of course, for, uh, to learn REBT and bring it back to the institution and train other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dr. Ellis was probably more at, at that time in his career, he was more famous as a sex, sex therapist than he was as a cognitive behavioral psychologist, clinical mm. psychologist. 
And a lot of people know, you know, he was famous for his REBT and cognitive behavioral therapy, but they've forgotten that he was a leader in uh, in sex sex yeah. uh, therapy. And the only other leader was a guy named Havelock Ellis. They get confused. Albert Ellis, Havelock mm. Ellis in the 1930s was probably the originator or one of the early originators of truly scientific sex therapy. Uh-huh. So I got to study with one of the best sex therapists. I remember this. I, I'm still feeling guilty as hell about jacking off. You know, I, I just, <laughs> I just can't uh, quite get out of my Christian head. Right. And my wife condemns me if she finds out or suspects that I am because she thinks I'm a sex addict, you know, because uh. you know, uh, anybody's a sex addict who's getting more or better sex than you are. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. That's how you define it. So one day I'm in this lecture hall and, and Ellis is taking a question from somebody and saying, I have a, somebody in the audience says, I have a client that masturbates six times a day. And what's normal, Dr. Ellis? And Dr. Ellis says, well, I think I've had a client that masturbated 12 times a day. I'd say that's about normal or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. at that moment ellis basically said there is no normal stop right. thinking in those terms if right it, it's your body it's your choice yeah. yes and he, you know he didn't he didn't buy any of that sex addiction bullshit ne- neither do i so by that time i was well on my way to psychology i went back to school got my doctorate in at vanderbilt university and um as a counseling psychologist and later moved into clinical psych for about 10 years and then wow. spent the rest of my career um, about 30 years in organizational psych, which is a whole nother subject, but I didn't stop being interested. I kept studying and reading and, and that allowed me to then turn around to write my books. They're really a compilation of ideas that came from, you know, a lifetime of research. So. Yeah. Are we going where you want to go? Yeah, this is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> So now that you're talking about uh, uh, sexual addiction, so is that really not a thing in your opinion? Yeah. Sex addiction? There is no such thing as sex addiction. Okay. Hmm. Now, uh, go watch any number. I just did a lecture two weeks ago on the myth of sex addiction. Okay. Or go find Dr. David Lay's book. I probably got it right behind me somewhere on the myth of sex addiction. Hmm. Or read Dr. Marty Klein's book, uh, uh, essay in, in the American Humanist about five years ago. Okay. You're is the title of this. You're addicted to what? <laughs> and you, you are there's there's no evidence of sex addiction. Okay. And what 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 irritates me is in the secular world, sex addiction is a religious concept, mm-hmm. just like Alcoholics Anonymous, and the disease model of alcoholism is a religious concept. If you look at the twelve steps of AA. Eight of them mention God or some mm-hmm. version of God. Right. Yep. It's, a, yep. it's a fucking religion. It's not yeah. a it's not yeah. a treatment program. It's like the very first one is admitted that you are not able to do this on your own, right? You have yeah. to like let higher a power. higher power. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so the same there's there's enormous problems with the whole addictions concept in our culture. Now, I am I want to be really clear to our listeners. I am not saying people don't have trouble with drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. or don't have trouble with sex. Mm-hmm. But it's not addiction. Mm-hmm. Just because you, just because your wife says you're a sex addict, is not a diagnosis. You know, right. yeah. you, you don't go to your doctor and he looks at you and you, you give him all the symptoms. He says, "Sounds to me like you're possessed by a demon." So we'll do an <laughs> exorcism. I mean, that's kind of what sex addiction is. <clears throat> and I'm serious. Go watch or listen to my lectures. Okay. 
I, I did it at um, the major one I did in Oklahoma City about six years ago on the mm -hmm. myth of sex addiction. We can give you a link or whatever. Heck yeah. No, sex mm -hmm. addiction is a religious concept. It started about 1983, started by a guy named Dr. Patrick Carnes, who's a charlatan psychologist. And uh, he's made a mint off of this. He has a whole training program to teach people about it. But here's the problem. You cannot diagnose somebody with a, a disorder if it's not statistically and scientifically verified and documented in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Right. Five, DSM-5. Mm -hmm. If you There is no such thing as sex addiction in the DSM-5. So anybody who's diagnosing sex addiction is, by definition, engaging in malpractice. Wow. And un unethical conduct. I did not know that. That's great to know. Yep. It is an wow. important thing for us to start spreading. Uh, now, you might... Let's say that you're masturbating so much you can't get your job done. Okay, I, I can help you work with that. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do is we're going to scratch below the surface. And we're going to find out that you just went through a recent divorce. Mm -hmm. What I've seen in my career is people's masturbatory behavior goes up dramatically, frequently goes up dramatically after a divorce. Mm -hmm. Or it plummets dramatically after divorce. Because it's mm -hmm. an emotional response to loneliness. Right to feelings of betrayal, to feelings of isolation. So our bodies respond. And if you look, if you do the same thing to a monkey, you take a monkey away from its family and put it in isolation, it'll start masturbating all day long. Huh? M monkeys, chimpanzees, lots of masturbation among the primates of our, you know, primates of our world. Mm -hmm. So it's a coping mechanism to self-stimulate, to help yourself feel better. Because when you, have an orgasm, of course, that releases endorphins, mm -hmm. makes you feel better. And then you say, well, I better do that again because I'm feeling bad again. So you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, be it can become a problem because of that. But I'm not going to treat your masturbation. I'm not going to say, well, you got to, you know, I got a cut on my hand right here. I'm not, I'm not going to treat the cut. I'm going to put some antibiotics on it because the cut is infected yeah. with bacteria. So what is causing me this anxiety? I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you uh, deal with your anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, most people are the, all the research. Um, Josh Grubbs has got great research out there. He's a PhD um, psychologist, uh, University of Illinois, I believe. Or no, not, well, I can't remember right now. Case Western University. He's not there now, but he did a bunch of research on who was a sex addict. And what, what he found was the more religious you are, the more likely you are to think of yourself as a sex addict. Ah. The less religious you are, the less. Interesting. So in a, my own research, I've found that when somebody leaves religion, they often drop in their use of pornography and really go down in their, in their levels of dysfunctional, what you might call dysfunctional masturbatory behavior. Wow. Because why are they doing it? They're doing it. I call this the, uh, the guilt cycle. They're doing yes. it because mm. they, 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 yeah. they're told their body is their enemy. If you think about sex, you're going to go to hell. Of course, when you think about sex, your dick gets hard or your pussy gets wet and you do something about it. Well, when you masturbate, then you feel guilty about masturbating. Mm -hmm. So then you go back through the cycle and you masturbate again to feel better <laughs> about feeling guilty. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the vicious cycle. <laughs> it's, it is a cycle yeah. and I do call it the guilt cycle because yeah. what happens is Religion brings you back to religion by making you feel guilty about the very thing you're going to do anyway. Okay. Everybody's going to have some kind of sex with another person or with themselves. 
And if we can make people feel terrible about that, they got to come to Jesus. They got to confess their sins. They got to pray. They got to read the Bible. They got to do shit that's related to religion to get rid of the yeah. uh, anxiety. It's a treatment for a disease that the religion caused. That's right, Mel. You yeah. got to come to Jesus. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> my my vibrator is called Loki. We, 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 he is a god, so just like a Christian god. <laughs> That reminds me of a funny story. I've told this many times. Uh, uh, I had a girlfriend. I, I got divorced in 1988. And shortly thereafter, I, I met on, this is a long time before dating, like, you know, long before the internet. It's 1988, 89. And you had to go to the newspaper and go to the personal section. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I connected with a woman on the personal section. And she had mentioned opera in her you don't, you only get 25 words, you know, <laughs> you got to be real, real uh, short. Yeah. The word opera just jumped at me because I love opera. So okay. we connected. I met with her. Damn. Turns out she's hot. She's an opera singer. Oh, wow. She's a, she's a professor of opera. I'm thinking, That's have amazing. I hit a fucking jackpot? Here? <laughs> I can't imagine her orgasm. You know, like. <laughs> 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 it didn't take me I, this was before i was an out atheist but it didn't take me long to figure out she was also a devout catholic oh <laughs> yeah. oh jesus yeah oh jesus that was right <laughs> but but it didn't matter we were fucking like bunny rabbits within a week, within a week after we met and uh it was quite a while before i got to go to her house but every now and then i just before cell phones you know i just I'd be in the area. I'd drop by. It wasn't inappropriate or anything. Yeah. yeah. But one day, I, and I'd been there before, so I knew what her house looked like on the inside. One day, I show up unannounced. She invites me in. She's kind of excited to see me. She's ready to grab my clothes and let's go to bed. Yeah. And I go in the bedroom. Uh, we're getting ready to go, and I look around, and there's rosaries, and there's, oh. there's Mary, there's Jesus. I mean, it's it's crazy shit everywhere. And I say, Gina, where? I've never seen this before. And he said, well, Daryl, I take it down if I know you're coming over. Oh. Because I, I, she says, because I just can't come with Jesus watching me. No. <laughs> and fast forward to 2000, this year, 2022, and we have the fucking crucifier. It's literally the crucifix as a fucking dildo. Like, <laughs> that's what it, like, the, the timeline, what is the crucifier? It? The crucifier, that's what it's called. Yeah, Jesus oh, is coming. Jesus is yeah. coming. <laughs> my browser history is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have questions. <laughs> I'm <a> curious mind. <laughs> so, why does religion use sex to like? Why do they make it so powerful and so easy to manipulate the, the people? Like, why? Why is it such a big tool for them? No pun intended. Yeah, it's a. It, it, well, it's a. It's actually a brilliant um, evolutionary development. And I look at mm -hmm. I look at religion as like an organism. Re religions evolve just like a, an organism evolves. Mm -hmm. uh, Doctor uh, uh, Richard Dawkins wrote a whole book called the, the um, Selfish Gene, in which he introduced the concept of memes and memetics uh, way back in 1977. I learned about that. And I thought, damn, this makes so much sense. It finally starts to explain religion in a way that I'd never, never seen it explained before. So, and that 
ultimately led to me writing uh, my book, The God Virus. But mm. religion, religion is a, I, when you think of the word virus, we all know what goes on with viruses. We've been really well educated the last two or three years about mm. how viruses <laughs> spread, right? Yes. Right. Well, they, they spread, they can spread really rapidly, and they usually have one way of spreading. You don't get viruses from touching, you get viruses from breathing. That's that's the mo method there, mm -hmm. but but uh, like we're finding now, monkeypox, you you don't get it through breathing, you get it through touching, and some sexual touching can huh. you know can pass it on. So and other you know um, sexually transmitted diseases are transmitted by by fluid contacts or stuff stuff like right. that. Right. So why does religion use it? Well, because it works. Mm. I mean, why did animals develop teeth? Why did teeth evolve because the animal that had better teeth was able to grab more things and eat it and get bigger and thrive. It's yeah. right, you know, simple psychology, simple evolution. Well, mm -hmm. religion comes along and says, if I can get an idea in your head that makes you do, do things that will propagate me, the religion is interested in propagating itself. So you think about this, Mel, the job of religion is to get to, from my brain to your brain. Mm. Just like a, rab, a rabies virus, the job of the rabies virus is to get from, uh, say, the dog's brain mm -hmm. to, the, to the next dog's brain. And it's going to be done through a bite or yeah, something right. like that. Right. So if you think of religion as simply a disease that's going, in it, but it uses the mind as its repository. Minds are the repositories of uh, God viruses and they rarely it's almost you almost never see multiple God viruses inhabiting the same mind mm -hmm. Catholics aren't Baptists and Catholics at the same time right 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 well you don't generally have multiple uh, kinds of viruses like say smallpox you don't in your in your body at the same time because viruses literally don't want competition. So mm -hmm. they've actually got right. ways of keeping other viruses out. Yeah. And there's some examples where viruses can protect you against other viruses. I mean, cowpox is a virus, but it's, it's related to chickenpox. I mean, to um, smallpox. Mm -hmm. So it can prevent you from getting that virus. It's the first right. vaccine. You know, cowpox right. was the first vaccine for smallpox. So think of religion as a disease that spreads and it spreads from one brain to the next. So how does it get through it? Instead of through breathing or biting or sexual contact, it comes through the mouth talking. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's another way to spread. I am right now while we're talking, I'm spreading ideas from my brain to your brain. Right. Well, if religion can hook onto that, maybe I can, I, I will try my best here to convert you to Pastafarianism. And make it so that by the end I can say a prayer over you and bless you. But uh, so if I if I succeed there, uh, we will have a great example of how religion spread from one mind to the next. Right. There you go. Does that answer your question, Mel? Yes, it does. Thank you. That, <laughs> that, if you want the long answer, it's in the God virus. Hey, room. there you go. Hey, everybody, pick up the God virus. Yes. And so you told us that story, uh, but how did you end up letting go of the God belief and how did the deconstruction start for you? It was a long process. Oh, yeah. I would say by the end of my master's degree, I'm, I'm uh, 24 years old. When I finished my master's degree, I 
pretty much at that point in time knew that it was bullshit. Mm. I was still a very liberal Christian. I was married to a, a, a woman that was also fairly liberal. I mean, we were sexually incompatible, but in other ways, we were intellectually compatible. In fact, we both got advanced degrees while we were married to each other. We were good for each other in that way. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think it's important for people to realize you can get a lot of good out of a marriage that ultimately uh, breaks up. And, and I don't think I don't think yeah. that means you had a failed marriage right. Right. at all. It means you had a very successful marriage within that framework. I, I hate this notion of failed marriages. It's bullshit. <laughs> um, it, you, some marriages last longer than others, but I had two fifty, uh, two grandparents that were married for more than fifty years, and I don't right. know four more miserable people on the planet. And they hated each other, but they were right. very proud that they stayed together for fifty right. years. It made, it made no it's sense. To stay to together out of spite at that point. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The, well, we, you're we, not getting rid of me. Right. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, where, wh how did I get off on that? So you want to know how I got out? Well, so yeah. I kind of knew it was bullshit. And I just, I stayed in. I, I was, I was very liberal. Uh, my wife and I, she wanted to still go to church. I could have stopped going instantly. But, so we kept going to the most liberal church we'd find in whatever area we were living in. I even sang tenor, tenor solos in the choir. I was the tenor soloist for a couple different churches in my life. Nice. And I was, I was a pretty good, I wasn't professional quality, but I was pretty damn good. And, mm. and I, in fact, one of the last times I ever sang in a church, I, I picked the song I knew I could do the best at manipulating emotionally. Mm. And I, and I challenged myself, can I get people to actually start crying while I sang <laughs> Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your hearts and sing Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to our King. Okay, so oh, you're making me cry now. I'm crying. <laughs> and with half the audience is in tears, I'm thinking, I did it. Uh, I, I can retire. Uh, yeah. I, I hardly sang again. I sang at my daughter's wedding, but that was like Aww. the only only place I sang again. But <laughs> I love singing. That's the thing I miss about uh, churches is, is mm. the singing. Yeah. So how did I get out of it? Well, I, I moved out very slowly. And by the time I was uh, probably 38 or 39 years old, I got divorced uh, at 38 years old. And it, it didn't take me a year or two after that. I was I was an out agnostic. Okay. I could not, I could not use the word atheist. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that was my grandmother, granny on my dad's side, she was a real strict kind of a person, very fundamentalist and mm -hmm. uh, secretly had been married and divorced and never admitted it. Um, in fact, my dad is not my, my grandpa's not my real grandpa because my dad was adopted by him. Oh. Uh, a whole bunch of other shame stuff went on in that side of the family. But granny, granny hated atheists. And oh. Madeline Murray O'Hare and communists, of course. She saw a communist in every. <laughs> of course, she saw a communist in every closet and under every bed. Practically, <laughs> it was. You you don't know how bad the 1950s were. It oh. was it was terrible for some some people, of course, gay people for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Granny uh, heard Madeline Murray O'Hare's name on the radio, the the founder of American Atheists, and oh. you know Madeline Murray O'Hare was largely the reason why. 
the Supreme Court threw prayer out of schools and you know you can't be using yes. prayer. So when Granny heard that name, she said, she said out loud, that woman's worse than the devil. Oh shit. And, oh, yeah. So I was interested, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to know the theology about this, but you don't cross Granny because you'll get she'll make you go out and cut a switch and then she'll use it on you. Fuck. Oh, God. And, and you better you better get a big enough one because if you're not big enough, you're you're gonna really regret it. <laughs> yep, yep. Damn. So, so I took me like three months and she kept saying this because Madeline Mario's name was frequently being mentioned. It was very, very controversial. And finally one day I said, well, Granny, how can be anyone be worse than the devil? <laughs> and she said, well, at least the devil believes in God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Damn it. I've heard that one. That's yep. so yeah. funny. Yep. Well, if you've heard it, it probably came from my granny because I had never <laughs> I had never heard that before. I, really? I, I well, was like 12 years old. Yeah. I see it on TikTok all the time. Well, I'm talking about back then. But yeah, I know. But... Then, oh, my God. No, no. Yeah. I understand. But yeah, I, yeah. I've heard that one before. It is it's so funny. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And I'm like, is. good for him. Like, I still don't believe in any of well, that. I was. <laughs> My granny told me that, and I was telling that story long before TikTok ever came along. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I'm going to take credit for that one. There you, know you go. Yeah. <laughs> Trademark. Mm -hmm. So was there like a tipping point or something specific that just like, you know, humbled yeah. yeah, the tower of, you know, belief and faith? Yeah, I start, I, like I said, I was an out agnostic from about the time I was 38 until the time uh, I got about 2002. Two, I started dating a woman um, who is who'd been an atheist since she was fourteen. Uh -huh. Long story, but she's very convinced atheist. And we start dating, and we just we get along really well. And we start traveling together. Her name's Judy. We're still great friends. We still travel together. Still nice. Um, occasionally, we haven't traveled since COVID. But so she one day we're on a plane to England, and um, um, we're, we're talking about something and you know, the word atheist comes up and she said, Daryl, you should shit or get off the pot. <laughs> you know, you know, you're not an agnostic, you're an atheist. And I said, yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> you're right, you're right. That was the first time, and Judy and I joke about this all the time. That was the first time I'd ever said out loud, I'm an atheist. That was gotcha. about 2002. Wow. I'd probably been an atheist for, you know, 15 right. yeah. years right, or right, more. Right, right. Totally. But it hadn't come right out. Well, I still couldn't be out out because I had I had a I had an organizational psychology consultancy with employees and all. And, you know, you just get you don't it's not a part of the business. You know, I'm, I'm helping people with their businesses. Right. And it's like psychology of management, stuff like that. So I kept it under wraps for many years. And then Daw Dawkins book, The God Delusion, comes out. Mm. And even before that, Sam Harris's book and. Uh, I'd read um, uh, Russell, uh, um, Bertrand Russell's book, Why I'm Not a Christian. I was just reading all these books in a very short period of time, like from, I don't know, 2003 or four, whenever Harris's book came out for a couple more years, or Daniel Dennett's book. So I read the quote, Four Horsemen, and I thought, well, I love all these books. They're really yeah. good books, and they, they teach a lot. But the one thing none of them deals with is the psychology of religion. Mm. well who could write a book about that yeah so i got inspired and i just i've written four books in my life i'd already written two others on organizational psychology so it's awesome. writing a 
writing a book wasn't a problem. It was having the content, the research and all. So I just started writing and sent it off to my best friend, Dr. Dan Dana, uh, just the first chapter. And Dan came back and said, Daryl, dang, this is a good book or good article. I said, well, hold on. I'm going to send you another article. I wrote another article and sent it to him. And he was just as complimentary. And my friend Dan is not complimentary. Mm. I've, known, I've known the guy going on 40 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, he, if something's shit, he'll tell me. Okay. What I love about Dan, he's tactful about it, but he'll say, yeah, Daryl, it's full of, you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sound familiar, Beth? Yes. <laughs> you did tell me I was full of shit in Atlanta. It was awesome. I felt honored, honestly. Because I know go. I'm full of shit, but for he Dr. Zero Ray he, to tell right. me this. It's like, like legit now. It's legit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I sent him three articles. And at the end of that little exercise, and he sent me back, uh, you know, his feedback. It dawned on me, I got a book. I'm not writing articles. I'm reading a whole damn book. That's awesome. <laughs> so Dan just said, keep writing, Daryl. Keep sending me every chapter. So I just wrote, wrote, wrote. Wow. I, I, in my lifetime, uh, having written four books, I, I, my, ba- my brain works for five years in the back, in the back of my brain mm-hmm. on the book. And then one day I just start writing mm-hmm. and I don't even know what's going to happen. It, it's kind of the way my brain has its own, its own um, agenda, its own calendar, <laughs> I guess. So, and that's what happened to the God virus. And then a couple of years later, I'm chapter five of the God virus is about sex, sex and the God virus. And, about a year and a half after that, I'm getting all this feedback about that one chapter in the book. It's like the most popular chapter. It's the chapter about sex. Yeah. Well, maybe I should write that book. <laughs> <laughs> I had a blast writing both books. Mm. I mean, it was the first two books were professional books and I enjoyed this a good. But these two books were were like orgasmic. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but. They were just so joyful to write, and it just came out. I mean, it just came, yeah. It's, yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it just uh, <laughs> like, it just vomit, vomited out of my mouth. <laughs> just splooged everywhere. Just yeah, feelings. Like... There you go. That's there awesome, go. man. Oh. Yep. yep. Oh my yeah. goodness. Um, so you are the president of Recovering from Religion. Um. How did that come to be? And can you expand on what you do? Right, right. Well, uh, yeah, Recovering Religion got started about um, about two months after the book, The God Virus, came out. Because okay. everybody, everybody and their dog was writing me and saying, help, help, you know. I'm, oh, wow. I, like, I, like I said, all the other writers are dealing with anthropology. You know, mm. they're dealing with neuropsychology or something like that or, or biology. But they're not dealing with psychology. And so word got out quickly, you know, a psychologist has written a book. Maybe he can help you. Well, I can't possibly help all these people. Yeah. I mean, literally hundreds of people are coming my way. Wow. So I decided I'm going to try a little experiment. I announced this uh, a meeting at the back of an IHOP restaurant. <laughs> and I put it on I put it on meetup.com. This is when meetup was still pretty new. Mm. Yeah. Oh, way wow. back in t- 2009. April, literally April of 2009. So we're 13 years old. Oh. Uh, just a, a couple months That's ago. Awesome. And uh, 11 people showed up to that meeting. Uh-huh. And I only knew one of them. Everybody else was a total stranger. Uh-huh. So I just facilitated the meeting. I just asked two questions. How did religion hurt you? And how have you benefited from leaving? And three hours later, the restaurant manager's kicking us out because he's closing. <laughs> closing. 
So at, at that, as I'm walking out of that room, I think this is, I got a tiger by the tail. This mm. is important. I need to find a way to do this. So we started having regular meetings. I got some people to come in and start leading them. I trained them how to do it. And before you know it, we've had, well, it took two or three months, but we've got meetings, three different meetings in Kansas City alone. And then I start people who have read my book in places like San Diego um, or uh, Columbus, Indi uh, Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. or Springfield, Missouri, you know, they're reading my book and they're, they're contacting me and I'm saying, Hey, would you like to help me start this, a, a group in your area? And I got quite a few groups. I think I probably got about a dozen groups the first year started. Wow. Yeah. It, it was hard. I had to put a lot of time and effort into it, right. but, yeah. but I got it going and, you know, some of them would go and do pretty well and some would drop out. It was, it's always a game, you know, you always go right. But that was the beginning of the idea of recovery from religion. And I called it that from the very beginning. That's what I called it the very mm -hmm. first meeting. But we really didn't uh, formalize our uh, 501c3 for several years later. But mm -hmm. I mean, I was too busy promoting my books on book tour and speaking and all. I, right. I didn't have time to run another organization. <laughs> plus, plus, I am at the same time running my consulting firm. Mm -hmm. and, you know, busy I, guy. I, busy guy. So busy. I really was. I really was. But that... that I was able to retire, get out of that. Actually, I I lost most of my clients because when the book came out, my I had a bunch of religious clients. Oh, and uh, they, <laughs> they I, some clients I'd have for twenty years, and and they dropped me. Uh, they wouldn't return my phone calls or my emails. It was just really weird. People mm. I really thought were friends, and and I'd worked with for years. Yep. In the consulting world, you don't keep a consultant for twenty years. That's just unheard yeah. of. Yeah. And to have you know clients that have that have used me for five, 10, 20 years is very rare. And yet they dropped me. So I was, I was forced to retire about three years earlier than I wanted, mm. but, but the God virus sold well enough to make up for almost all that lost income. That's Thank awesome. You. Amazing. Which is rare. Most books do not, I mean, you never make money off of a book, but anyway. Right. So why was I telling you all this? Where are we going with that? Oh, uh, but just in yeah. general, recovering from religion, and then you oh, right, founded right. it. Now <laughs> yeah. it's formalized. Yeah, so we are we're going great guns. Like I said, we're 13 years old. Uh, our executive director is Gail Jordan. She's us. She's an yes. amazing human being. You She's amazing. Her. Yes, yeah. we did. Yes, yep. We we are way too lucky to get her. Uh, I think my I thank all the gods. Uh, whatever God. <laughs> <I can find. laughs> That we've got her. And uh, after about two years, I uh, w when I published, uh, I was in the process of writing and publishing Sex and God. I started getting a lot of complaints from people that their psychologists tried to convert them. Oh. Or their, mm. or their clinical therapist uh, tried to say they need to pray. Or the atheism was the reason for their depression. Fuck. And, Fuck yeah, that I, shit. I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Fucking me. So I decided I needed to try to help these people find a secular therapist that, that knew, you know, like cognitive behavioral. Did you know that uh, Dr. Albert Ellis was uh, atheist of the year? I believe it was in 1969. Oh, yeah. He knew he and Madeline Murray O'Hare knew each other. And uh, she his his therapy was very secular. Um, so anyway, that that's a side note there. So he. Why was I telling you that the um, so I, I I tried to help these people, but I could not. I get on the Internet. I get on the phone. Yeah. But I, I could not find a therapist that I could guarantee 
would not try to send them back to church. Mm. Yep. So yep. that's when I realized I there's no resource. So mm. I'm going to have to do this. So I, I I had done a lot of online dating from about 2001 uh, until 2009. I was doing a lot of online dating. And uh, so I really understood how the, the system works to keep right. both sides safe and confidential until you're ready to meet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I can, that's the same thing as I need for a, a therapist because a therapist in Oklahoma city cannot advertise that they're secular or they're an atheist. Right. Right. Cause if, if they did, they lose their whole, you know, everything. Right. Right. So we need to keep the therapist anonymous. We need clients protected. So we just created basically a dating site for therapists. And um, mm-hmm. right now we've got um just something short of 30,000 people registered as, wow. as clients mm-hmm. for a lot. secular therapy project. And we're about 620 vetted and registered therapists. Amazing, and man. Fuck we, wow. started, we started literally in May of 2012. So we are uh, 11 years old last month. Wow. And if you could look at the curve, it goes, it starts off. I found 25 good well-qualified secular therapists. I worked my butt off to find them and they agreed to register. And then, so we start off with 25 and just go slow, 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 going up, up, up. And then all of a sudden it's just going up like a rocket. We have gotten more, amazing, more registrations in the last six months uh, than we've probably gotten the last two years. It's just shit, Daryl. Wow. Now we we register we vet every therapist and we turn down about thirty to forty percent of them. We say no, you can't be in our database because you're yeah. still religious or you're still right. you're not using evidence based psych. We require right. all therapists to have evidence based psychotherapy methods, and they they can't be religious. They got to prove themselves secular, yeah, and they got to be licensed. If they can right. prove that to us, then they can get in our data. But we got people knocking on the doors mm. to get in. I, I was knocking on people's doors myself to get them in, <laughs> you know, 11 years ago. Now they're knocking on our doors, which is a good, a good place to be. We've got, we got uh, four really highly qualified therapists that work on our, our vetting team. And they look at every single application. They ask questions. They vote on whether they're going to let this person in or not. And gotcha. System works beautifully. And just so we're clear, it is more of a registry, right? Where people find a therapist and then they, I guess work out payment or insurance. Yeah, they, and you, re- you register as a client and then you put your zip code in or the uh, zip code door, and then you say, show me all the therapists within 50 miles. Gotcha. And then you look through the qualifications of the therapist and decide which one looks like they'd fit you or which two would or three. And then you reach out to them through our system. You send them a message and then they'll get an email and they'll respond to you. And you go back and forth and they may say, you know, I don't think you're right for me, but uh, look for this kind of a therapist. They'll help. They'll help the client. Right. Yeah. And and these days, um, because of COVID, there's more and more therapists doing uh, telehealth. Telehealth. Yeah. Right. So, right, right. so you can even look um, outside of a 50 mile radius in some places. You can even look international. I mean, we've got hmm. we have uh, therapists in eight different countries now. Wow. Uh, we've got. Uh, I think 18 in Canada. We've got six or seven in Australia, one in New Zealand, one wow. in the Netherlands, five or six in the United Kingdom, uh, one in South Africa. It's uh, it's growing. It's growing rapidly. Right. right. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, always would uh, try to promote 
uh, your organization with every episode that we do because good listening to the people tell their stories and just it's oh, it's so it's heartbreaking. So yes, yeah, we we always want to make yeah. sure that people know that there is a, a, a an organization that will help you. So yep. And they're oh, well-trained. Yeah. Our, our, yes. As you could tell when you were, uh, you came to our wine and cheese thing, didn't you? We were not able to, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then, you, then you didn't see it. But if you had, you'd see our volunteers are damn well-trained. That's we, awesome. We don't let any volunteer touch a client. And we got a bunch of programs. Um, one of our flagship programs is the chat line and, and yes. help line. People can call or they can chat in from literally anywhere on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've got five phone numbers from English speaking countries that you can dial in directly mm -hmm. or you can dial in by the interwebs. You know, there's some kind of a phone system on those inner tube things. Oh, the, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a boomer. What do I know? <laughs> and um, what is the, there is a hotline, correct? Yeah, it's one eight four. I doubt it. One eight four. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the uh, U.S. version of it. But you can you can chat in with us. You can even set a time for a callback if you want to talk to somebody you know, within a certain framework. I can't guarantee you all get a callback because we're all volunteers. Right. Uh, but we have in the neighborhood of three hundred volunteers around the globe. Uh, last I checked, we cover about eighteen time zones. We've literally got wow. volunteers that can cover 18 time zones. We have a lot of volunteers in Australia. So that helps us cover a lot of time zones out there. We got a good number of, of German, uh, some French, English. That's amazing. Uh, volunteers. Holy we, shit, sir. Wow. Yeah. And this is got, impressive. Man. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm amazed. I mean, it really right? is. It is, uh, it is amazing because... Uh, I may have started it, but we have incredibly committed people who really are talented. And we got good, incredible IT people that help put our systems together. Because everything I'm telling you about right. requires technology. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's the secular therapy project and that matching system or or the phone call system or the chat system. Right. Everything takes technology. Yeah. And then we've got to have the people to answer the phones and they've got to have a skill set. There's nothing to do with whether you know how to run a computer or not. Right. Right. And then and then we have a, a third program that's our support group program. And it it is the meetings of face to face in a community. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. You uh, remember I said uh, 11 people showed up to my first meeting. Yeah. We're, we're still doing that. And we that's have. About, awesome. OK. We have about 66 of those groups around the world. And they're meeting uh, until COVID. They were meeting face to face, maybe in the back room of a coffee shop or something. Yeah. Uh, but they a lot of them went virtual. We're now starting to come back into face-to-face. -face. Of course. But I'll tell you, COVID helped us a lot. Really? We, we benefited. Many places, you know, suffered. I, I'm I'm telling you, we got more donations during COVID than we, than we ever would have dreamed of or expected. And we got a, a, a lot more volunteers mm -hmm. because people didn't, you know, what are they going to do with their time? They want to sit at home. And so... We got tons of volunteers. We got great volunteers that knew how to develop systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we were training people. It was just, it was a really big benefit. And when we went virtual, we could let people join our meetings yeah. from widely dispersed areas. If we, our Sydney, Australia group, for example, it'll get 26, 20 to, to 30 people showing up to the meeting and they'll have to break it down to, to three or four <laughs> parts, you know, right, right. so people can talk. 
and they'll have to have three or four facilitators because they'll have people from Japan, wow. from, from New Guinea, from uh, Philippines, and, and, you know, Australia and New Zealand, all in the same meeting. That's pretty damn cool, you know. That's amazing. <laughs> what a, and what a, yeah, you, you brought <laughs> people together from all over the world virtually. Yeah, yeah this is great. Yeah. So you you'll get an ex Baptist, an ex Mormon, mm. an ex Buddhist, an ex Muslim, mm. all the same, an ex Jehovah's Witness, all oh, in the same meeting. That's crazy. From widely dispersed areas. Now talk about the God virus. This is a reverse spreading of the God virus because mm -hmm. we're helping to disinfect people. <laughs> through through dialogue and rational thinking across wide time zones, widely dispersed time zones. Now it's, I mean, when would that Filipino have had a chance to talk to a uh, somebody in New Zealand? Exactly, right. it right. just wouldn't. So we have decided we're going to keep the virtual groups. We're going to still do some face to face groups, <clears throat> but the virtual groups were a huge benefit to us for. That's um, amazing. Our, our recovering from religion. Anyway, so is yeah. there a way that people can get involved with your organization as a volunteer? Yeah, if you go to our website, recoverfromreligion.org. Dot org. And, uh -huh. and hit, org. hit the uh, volunteer button. Okay. And it'll, it'll start you in the process. I'm going to warn you. I, I want people to know what they're getting into. <laughs> you don't walk in and volunteer for us. Okay. It just doesn't happen. You walk in, you have to pass the application phase. Mm -hmm. Then you have to pass the interview phase. Mm-hmm. And we interview you pretty tough. Mm -hmm. we, we reject people. It's, oh. you know, we're not looking for warm bodies. We're looking for people right. who really are committed. Right. Wow. Once you've gotten through the interview, then you go on to your first round of self-directed training, mm -hmm. which is at your own speed. You can mm -hmm. do it in three hours. Or you can do it in 30 days. We don't care. But yeah. you have to do it. And then once you've done that, then you get your one-on-one -on -one training. Wow. And you are expected... You, you have to gain a level of proficiency during your one-on-one -on -one training before you can touch a client, mm -hmm. um, which includes yeah. watching other people, interacting with other people, mm -hmm. taking a practice. We got a whole we got a whole channel in our section dedicated just to practicing chats. Mm -hmm. Wow! And then one thing I would ask your listeners to do is just go on our website and hit the chat button <laughs> and chat in and say, "Hey." I've been watching this show with Daryl. Uh, is this place for real? You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ask him what it's like to volunteer for recovery religion. Ask him why you volunteer for recovery religion. I don't mm. care. And, mm. and, or, or you could try chatting in and trying to trick him, you know, hey, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Baptist that loves well, that control. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Mystery shopper, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I I will put our volunteers up against any mystery shopper. I'm serious. We our volunteers they they will not take the bait. They do not take the bait. That's fantastic. Uh, we use a lot of uh, street epistemology, and uh, we we are very indebted to Anthony Magnabosco, who is one of our longest serving volunteers. Oh wow! You know he started his own organization with um, street epistemology, but he still volunteers for us, and we're very proud of that. That's awesome. He's really low key, very humble guy. He doesn't advertise it, but I want to advertise it because he's done a damn good service for us for six, six, I think six years, seven years. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. One of our long term. Well, we yeah. haven't met him, but we would definitely yeah. hit him up. We want to talk to him too. <laughs> Message. Yeah. No. Well, he, you didn't get to meet him at the, uh, at the we convention. We did not. I don't oh, know. Oddly yeah. enough, we did yeah. not. Yeah. He well, yeah. was bouncing everywhere. Couldn't find yeah. him. 
Yeah, he <laughs> put a bell on him. Yeah, the yeah that is true. I was bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. God I was making was a lot. Of, fair enough. I did make a lot of connections. He did. He did. Uh, yeah, I was He's good networking a lot. Shut the fuck up. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> 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 well, that's that's why you go to conventions to network. Right, yeah, exactly. Right, right. And that's why I'm glad we're going back to face-to-face -to -face conventions. Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. you, you you can't network on the internet like no, no. you can yeah. when you're in the room. Agreed. I mean, we we can't you know meet the high priest of the flying spaghetti monster. Yeah. Right? So I hear like, that you. Uh, yeah. What's going on here? How are you, <laughs> how are you the high priest of our Lord and Savior, the flying spaghetti monster? Because I know his noodly appendage has also touched my heart. Yes, my heart. Well, that's probably because I sent him. You know, I'm pretty. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty. I'm, pretty astute. I'm sensitive to who needs. Who needs help on the planet so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll i'll say a prayer and say hey go uh, go touch bath <laughs> so uh, uh but please do it above the belt um at least for now uh, <laughs> i still don't have pants on so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> damn well i don't know if you know the whole uh story behind how the flying spaghetti monster revealed himself to humanity are you familiar with the story? How did he reveal himself? I, yeah. Oh, I actually right. don't know exactly how he revealed yeah, himself. Okay. Well, I want to first of all let you know that I am a resident, lifelong practically resident and born and raised in Kansas. That will uh -huh. become, mm -hmm. become important when we come okay. back. Yes. So uh, so I believe it was in 2003, uh, a PhD physics student named Bobby Henderson at University of Oregon or Oregon State, one of those, um, was in his PhD program. When he noticed that the Kansas School Board was trying to pass uh, programs that would force creationism to be taught in the Kansas schools, mm. yes. Mm. So uh, he wrote. Uh, he, he he got a revelation from the Flying <laughs> Monster, and he wrote a letter to the uh, Kansas School Board and said, uh, "We are in favor of you um, teaching creationism in your schools." Mm as long as you teach our version of creationism too. And yep. oh, by the way, yep. here yep. it is. Exactly. And, and yeah, he gave totally. it to him. And I guess the lawyers for the Kansas school board looked at it and said, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> And they backed down. Well, about mm -hmm. that time, my, my IT guy in my own business, while I was running my consulting business, he uh, came to me. Shane was his name. He was a great guy. And he was always finding shit. He was great. <laughs> He's a great researcher, but also a good guy creative graphics artists and all that. He said, hey, have you seen this flying skinny monster thing in the Kansas School Bar? I said, no, let me see that. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> so uh, as a result of being an elder, uh, mm -hmm. of course, in Kansas, having been born and raised in Kansas, I was able to achieve the status of high priest because, I mean, in order to be the high priest, you have to have been born and raised in Kansas. Okay. okay. See? And you have to be an old white guy, at least now you <laughs> Uh, I'm sure whoever will succeed me will dispute that. But <laughs> and I'm all in favor of getting more diversity in this position. I just don't want it till I'm dead. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is fucking awesome. And I, yeah. I hear that you, when you uh, spread the word, you have to be wearing a uh, pirate. Um, you have to dress, be dressed like a pirate, right? 
Well, yeah, but I don't have my pirate stuff there <laughs> right now. So, uh, oh, will, you're good. I will spread it anyway. I I spread a lot of things anyway. I I, I spread very easily. Let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> and 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 Mel, do you know do you know why a semen is sticky? I don't. That there's a biological reason for that. No, please inform me. Yeah, uh, if you, uh, I actually write about it in Sex and God, but hmm. the uh, uh, a lot of animals create what's what's called a plug. Uh, mm. Chimpanzees, bonobos, other primates create mm -hmm. a semen plug that plugs up the um, entrance to the uterus intentionally. Okay. Wow. And the reason it does that is to stop other sperm from another guy getting in there. Holy shit. Yeah. So that's why sperm are sticky because as they mature, this they, they try to they are attempting uh -huh. to coag coagulate into a plug because we are not a monogamous species. Right. Right. We're a very promiscuous species in many ways. Mm -hmm. And what if evolutionarily the 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 sperm want to stop any other sperm from getting up there. It's called sperm competition. Right. So right. When you mentioned what were the Playboy pages sticky, <laughs> I <laughs> I thought maybe I should make sure you understand why they're sticky. There's a biological reason. For I'm that. just like very happy that my throat has not closed up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, you know, thank you for informing me. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Be sure to drink lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ratio, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is great. Well, thank so, Dr. Yes. Daryl Ray, you are fucking amazing. Where yes. can we find you? You can find me at recoverfromreligion.org. You can, mm -hmm. uh, Daryl at recoverfromreligion.org is my email. Okay. I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, yeah, you're welcome to interact with me. If if I know you, if I if you have read one of my books, or if I've actually met you, I will accept a friend request. But nice uh, on Facebook. But you've got to remind me. Hey, we met. <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck are you? Because yeah. <laughs> I will I will forget thirty minutes from now who, who <laughs> one of you guys were. Right. <laughs> are you on Twitter as well? By any I, chance? I am a Twitterizer. Yeah. It's okay. I, I have, I've done that as well. But, it, you know, I think we should bless this uh, wonderful discussion we've had today with a prayer. Um, Fuck yeah, I yes. think we should. Yes. Okay. Wait, hold on, hold wait, on. We gotta get ready. There's a couple prepare. of things that I want to prepare for. Oh, okay. okay wait, wait, okay. wait, wait. There you go. Okay. Ooh, Mel, you are you are awesome. You are on <laughs> top of things. Great, I like being great. on top. She is on top. <laughs> I cannot get around you. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's happening? She is always one step ahead of me. I'm just saying. Okay. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be funnier than she is. That's, that's hard to do. Yeah, but okay. this time we're actually going to get serious because this is a very, is a very, uh, serious, topic. A very serious topic. Yes. Yeah. Right, okay. right. Okay, here we go. go. Dear Flying Spaghetti Monster, we thank you for giving us sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. whether homo or heterosexual, bi or trans, and for not making us like those uptight Christians, Muslims, Mormons, and Baptists. You could say raw men there. Raw men, raw, raw men. men. Raw yes. men raw we thank you for wonderful masturbatory fantasies and for the pornography on mm -hmm. which they're often based. Mm -hmm. FSM, we, are, we ask that you grant us sex partners, 
lovers, wives, husbands that know where our G spot is at our clitoris mm -hmm. and the sweet spot on our penis. Mm -hmm. Grant us long loving foreplay with deep mm -hmm. wet kisses followed mm -hmm. by huge orgasms and loving cuddles after. Mm -hmm. Grant us the courage and the wisdom to communicate openly and honestly with our partners and give them more pleasure than we receive. For we know it is far better to give than to receive. Mm. Ramen. Ramen. Your noodliness. We do not need 72 virgins. In fact, we ask that you send us no virgins. <laughs> we don't want to have to train them. Unless, of course, they're really willing to be trained. We especially plead today that you not send any repressed Christian virgins, male mm. or female, mm. For they will I, only feel guilty and cause great problems with yes. their abstinence-only training. Uh, your posthumous, we ask that you give us the wisdom to understand and appreciate our partner's kinks, or lack thereof. Ramen. Whether Ramen. foot worship, or spanking, ropes, or talking dirty, help us to appreciate their full sexuality. And lead us not into temptation of judgment and scorn for others, when their mm. sexual preferences are not ours. Mm -hmm. Ramen. We do ask in the name of Ramen for retribution, shame, and scorn on pedophile priests, yes. hypocritical mm -hmm. ministers, sleeping with the choir director, and gay-bashing closeted ministers. Yes. Oh, SpaghettiO. We ask that you send us condoms and birth control in mm. abundance, and your blessings to the many dedicated workers at the Trojan Condom Factory and Planned Parenthood. Yes. In Amen. the name of Dan Savage and Greta Christina, we pray, for they are the true gods and goddesses of this world. Amen. Amen. Oh, now that's a real prayer right there. Yes. <coughs> you never, we, are, we have been blessed. What we an honor, sir. Yeah, you will never see that prayer in a Baptist church. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, well, thank you goodness. so fucking much. My pleasure. It's, Glad we could talk. It's been amazing. amazing. <laughs> yes. And we also I need wanna... a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ooh, I got the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> and finally we wanted to remind our listeners and now our viewers, uh, viewers. that we oh my God. we do have a merch store if you go to the burning you will find our merch and there is some cool stuff and there yes. is a shirt of mel uh doing things to jesus jesus uh, has to be exact yeah <laughs> well so go check it out <laughs> all right also, please don't forget to subscribe. Yes, I said subscribe to the subscribe channel, to the YouTube's. Uh, <laughs> smash that like button and uh, hit the bell for notifications so you don't miss our new episodes. And we'll be releasing so. episodes on Mondays as always, yes. but they're also available as audio only if you prefer that format. Right. If you go to uh, Apple Podcasts or Anchor or mm -hmm. Spotify or just Google the Burning In Podcast, yes. you will find it as audio as well. Yes. And if you do that, leave us a voice message. Mm -hmm. We would mm -hmm. love to hear your lovely voices or tell us to fuck off. I don't or know. Whatever you want to do. I don't know. I'll send you one. It's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll do one for one. You know, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Also, please don't forget to follow us on the Twitter. The Twitter. Uh, our joint one is Baff and Mel six six six. Mine is at Meltree Fitty, and Baff's is uh, at Mel. At, wow. Not at Baff Metal six six six. That's right. Yes. 
All right. And what is your Twitter, sir? Yes. What uh, is Dr. Dray132. D R D R A Y132. Dr. Dray132. And this is at Twitter. Yep. Fantastic. Okay. All right. And because we are safe, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Thank you again. You are fantastic. It's such a pleasure meeting you in person and now to get the chance to chat with you. Yes. Thank you so much. And as always, that is what the Lord wants. Amen. 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 Ramen.